Hey, it's Ian Altman. We're joined this week by my good friend Bob London of ChiefListeningOfficers.com. Bob always has amazing insight. Those of you who are regular listeners know that Bob is a frequent guest on the podcast, sharing amazing insights into how to get to the truth within our customer base. Bob, welcome. Thank you. Always great to be here. Well, I don't know if it's always great, but hopefully it is this time. It is. I just can I just make one quick request? Can you just turn up the temperature in the hot tub a little bit? It's yeah. a little cool. Yeah. Those of you who can't see, this is the benefit of doing a podcast. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I mean, really, the well, we have to turn the bubbles off during the show, otherwise it's a little bit awkward. <laughs> it just picks up too much of the background noise. So, Bob, what we want to talk about today is Businesses often talk about, oh, we listen to our customers and you know, we really know what's going on with our customers. What's the greatest trap or misconception that organizations have when it comes to listening to your customers? I'm glad you asked. Um, this is, as you know, this is the world in which I live. And I, I would point to one word, Ian, that's really important. And that word that I want to focus on today is intimacy. Which is awkward because you mentioned the hot tub before. <laughs> It's intimacy. And I know that sounds like a squishy word and it's kumbaya and therapist talk, but customer intimacy is the thing that companies think they have. But really, in talking to upwards of 2,000 decision makers, uh, buyers uh, over the last several years, there's no intimacy going on. There, there's very little intimacy. So, um, and by the way, customers never use the word, I want to be more intimate with my vendor. But vendors like to say it all, oh, we're really intimate. So there's an intimacy myth or trap. And, and, and Bob, I'm assuming that you're not promoting spooning with your customer. So when you say intimacy, what do you mean? Who's, who said I'm not promoting that? <laughs> what I mean by intimacy is basically a form of uh, a, a, a proximity to the customer's perspective. So where you're always thinking, what would the customer do right now? What would they say right now? Whether it's designing, whether you're designing software, coming up with messaging, redesigning the solution or service from the customer's perspective. It's, it's, it's looking at it. I don't, I like to say it's, I don't give a darn about your customer's shoes. I want you to be inside their heads. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's, that all sounds good for people. Okay. Yeah. I want to get into their heads. So what are, what are the traps that people fall into when they think they're actually doing that, but it just isn't so. So uh, when I talk to someone and I talk about this sort of human to human listening approach, and the benefits of it uh, when going to you know increase intimacy with customers. Sometimes they say something like, "Well, we listen to our customers all the time." And I'll say, "That's fantastic." What do you mean? Give me an example. And they say, "Well, I, the CEO might say I go on sales calls all the time." I go, "Oh, a sales call? Isn't that where the customer is leaning back with his arms crossed, waiting for you to amaze him or her?" Uh, you know, as opposed to uh, more of a, a, an intentional listening-based approach, which does create intimacy, it's when the customer is leaning forward and really opening up their their soul, which is something that you can get them to do. So, so in essence, it's the difference of I'm listening while I'm doing my thing versus I'm listening without an ulterior motive, right? Agendaless. And, yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah. And you you often refer to that as agendaless listening, which is look, I'm asking questions to actually find out the truth, to find out what's really important to you, irrespective of whether or not we've got something to sell you around that. Yeah. Yep. And and so, and I'm sure you've got examples of situations where organizations were convinced they knew what their customer was thinking, only to find out after going through a process that maybe they didn't. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So uh, as you know, obviously you and I 
are partnering on um, a, a, a really interesting project where there's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot at stake. And the person uh, who has engaged the project, who's initiated it, um, that team has basically said, we want to focus on this aspect of our solution, uh, one aspect out of many. So, you know, the four P's, product, price, place, promotions, one of those. And uh, by taking an agendaless or open-ended approach, instead of zeroing in on asking people what they think about that one facet, uh, we've been able to uncover you know, basically the truth, capital T, capital H, capital E truth is that it's not what they thought it was. There are other opportunities to add value from the customer's perspective that we wouldn't have learned if we hadn't gone in and asked some very basic high level open-ended questions. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the challenge that I often find in organizations is people have this notion of, look, we ask our clients questions all the time. In fact, we keep asking these questions till we get the answer that we want to get. Yeah, exactly. And, That's and another so, trap. And so what happens is it just like we're just going to keep asking the question a different way until their answer is, oh, yes, we want more of your stuff. Yeah. As opposed to in this case, the client had the foresight and confidence to say, yes, we believe this is the one area that we need to focus on. And they already have different elements of their organization that reaches out into customers that my guess is prior to this process, they would have, they would have said, Oh yeah, we have our finger on the pulse of exactly what's going on. And this is it. Yeah. And because they had the courage to say, look, we want to have agendaless listening. So Bob, can you conduct these interviews for us? What we quickly concluded is look of those four areas, they were going to focus, let's say on area one. And it turns out that what their clients really want is area two and three and really don't care about area one. Exactly. And uh, I would I would say that I really have a lot of respect for companies that engage with me and you at that level by saying we don't know what we don't know, but we're willing to hear the truth. Again, I think that's the, the intimacy thing is, is a means to an end. It's to learn the truth about what the perceptions, priorities and challenges are when you're not around. It's the elevator rant. Yeah, it, it was it was an interesting thing. I want to come back to the elevator rant, but it was an interesting thing because in this project, the theory was, okay, we need to speak to this population of users. And we said, you know what, let's pick a sample and let's start with this smaller phase just to make sure that we're going down the right direction. And through that first phase, we realized that it was, look, the direction we were starting to go down may not be the right direction. And I, I think to our mutual um, satisfaction, the client said, wow, I'm so glad that we did this because now we can change direction and better communicate that to everyone, all of our stakeholders. And that's, to me, the most refreshing part is that this is an organization that said, look, we want the truth, even if it's not exactly. what we originally thought it was going to be. And it gets us back to this notion of the elevator rant, uh, that something that might be foreign to some listeners, even though I quote it every time I speak and and cite your name, I think the Aside from same-side selling, Bob London is the most frequent uh, phrase in my talks. Yes. So so talk about the elevator rant a little bit for people. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the way to think of it is, what are your customers and prospects saying to each other in the, ele- the proverbial or literal elevator when you're not around? What are they saying after the meeting ended, after you leave? What are they saying to each other, uh, again, around the, the figurative water cooler? I don't know if there are water coolers anymore. But uh, or the coffee machine when you're not around. And the craziest thing, Ian, is that if you ask your customers, so uh, if you, I'll give you an example in a minute. If you ask your customers, hey, 
Um, what's the what's the chatter around the office about using our product? The person, if if they are in fact engaged in same side selling, because that's what this is really about, they will tell you because they want to be more successful. They want to extract full value out of the solution. I mean, the example I, I would give you is recently I had a meeting, a, a kickoff meeting for a project and uh, with a really cool company. And, uh, you know, I, I, the next day I send an email to the CEO asking, I said, do you have 15 minutes to talk? And we got on the phone. I said, well, I'm just curious and interested. What did you guys talk about right after I left? And he said, oh, well, no one's ever asked me that before. So I'm like, well, that's a win for everybody right there. And then he, he proceeded to tell me some things that were uh, important not game changing, but they were intimacy points that he said, well, you should think about this or that. If I hadn't called and asked him that direct question and credit to him for being candid, you know, that's a missed opportunity for me to create value. And there are a lot of examples. What, what did, when I, I gave a talk recently and I said, how many of you have ever delivered a proposal or a pitch and then gone back and wondered how it went in the car? You're like, how do you think it went? How do you think it went? And I said, well, how do you solve that? Well, we had like a brainstorm, like we had a little meeting. And I said, uh, well, that's good. What'd you learn? He said, nothing. We're just sitting around (laughs) guessing. I said, here's the tip, the pro tip, call the person that led the meeting on the vendors, on the buyer side and just say, how do you think it went? What did you guys talk about? You have to be specific. You can't just say how to, what did you guys talk about right after we left? And it signals, it gets you insight, but Ian, it signals a tremendous amount of confidence. It yeah. signals a tremendous amount of confidence. And it says we're all on the same side. We don't want to hide anything from you, and we don't want you to hide anything from us. Yeah. It and really you know, is I, the same side selling. I, I think that's great. And the, the interesting part of that is that it's probably so unusual that anyone would ask him that question that it catches people probably a little bit off guard. And I always say that effective sales is not about persuasion or coercion. It's about getting to the truth as quickly as possible. So you can help them better. Yeah, exactly. And so you can also find out that maybe something isn't the right exactly. fit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, there are a lot of examples in my world of mis, you know, mis, misunderstandings and misperceptions that they fall away when you come back and say, just tell us in general, you know, how are things going? What happened when you launched this with us? And I had one client in particular tell me during a listening tour that her, she had someone do in her organization. They had a client that was about to leave, a huge client. It was a PR firm in L.A. And uh, it turned out there was a misunderstanding that had happened during the initial negotiation, that it was still like the burr under the saddle kind of thing. Yeah. And they cleared it up. But they wouldn't have known if they hadn't asked a direct question. So, so what, are, what are some of the tips or keys if people want to get better at this, if they want to tap into – What's going on with their clients? Um, I know you often break it down to here are three things you should do, five things, seven things. How many do we have today? We have five things. I mean, there's, there's the, that doesn't include the main thing, which is to do what you and I are trying to educate uh, companies uh, to do, which is to go out and actually ask these agendaless questions on a regular basis, right? Let me give, ask you to give one example real quick, which is give me an example of – you know, one, two or three questions that are kind of agenda oriented questions versus what it would sound like in an agenda list contrast. So that way people can hear the difference because people say, oh, yeah, agenda list. Great. But I'll give you, but they may not know. That's a great question. So uh, one, the first one would be starting a listening conversation. In other words, you've already understood the value of listening. 
the first question is, what do you think of our product? Wrong. The first question should be, uh, tell me your top three priorities irrespective of our product. Okay. You have to understand and honor their context. Imagine they have a pie chart in their brain. Your product and all the stuff that it does and the problem it solves might take up 10, 15, 30% of that pie chart. By the way, I'm taking out the half of the pie chart where they're worried about putting two kids through college. So just the business pie chart. And uh, you have to understand that. And by the way, if you understand what's filling out the rest of the pie chart, guess what? What can you do then? You can help, perhaps help them solve some of those problems, not by selling them, but by educating them and perhaps uh, forming a deeper same side relationship. So, so the first one, instead of what do you think of our product, we're asking what are the top three things maybe on your whiteboard? What are the things that, exactly you're, what I that, that you're that you're struggling with the most? Yeah. And then eventually, if you want to get back to your product, you could say, well, of those three things on your board, how, if at all, does our product impact those? Right. Well, so so uh, it's interesting that you said that. I've never had to ask the question about what's the link because my job and my clients' jobs, if they're doing the listening, is to make that link and then come back later in the conversation and say, well, would it help? What if you could do what? What if you could, you know, the, you mentioned this other challenge, you know, to what extent do we play a role in solving it? To what extent? But you, but it's really up to us as listeners and, and CEOs and business owners to make that link. But yes, absolutely. And, and the whiteboard, what's on your whiteboard has uh, the reason that's an effective question is because every question I ask has a tangible aspect to it. In other words, there's a hook like whiteboard. What do you mean? Oh, and then they look, they're thinking, um, and asking them for the top two things on well, the two, it makes them think it keeps them engaged in the conversation. So these are all very carefully engineered questions. Yeah. And our listeners should know that <laughs> I'm about to go on vacation. My whiteboard is empty. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it and going, Ian, what's on your whiteboard? Well, I hope that's not an indicator of anything. Bunch of pens. Right. A bunch of well, your desk's messy. That's good. Exactly. So <laughs> clearly there's stuff going on. If you want to learn how companies go from 20% to 90% of their team hitting their numbers, or how companies grew from 17 million to over 100 million in three years, then get your pre order copy of Same Side Selling. In fact, if you go to samesideselling.com, you can see a number of bundles that will get you a bunch of bonuses if you pre order right now. Just go to samesideselling.com to learn more. So, what do you think of our product as one? What's what's another one that's kind of a trap that people yeah, have to avoid? It's another great one. So another a question that's two pointed would be how much value does our product add? Which is also I, I cringe when I hear that because it's such a, a, a in the bubble question. Like let's get them to answer on our terms. Here's the question to ask instead: Hypothetically, if our product went away tomorrow, what would your life like? How would your life be different? How would your job be different? If we took it away, imagine that, and what would that be like? How would you be solving the problem? Would you even replace it? Is the problem big enough to be solved by something else? Would you do it in-house? And, and I think you get amazing insights. And by the way, you have to have courage because they might say, eh, life goes on. Exactly. And, and the thing is that if someone says, oh, life goes on, people say, oh, my God, I can't believe they would say that. No, actually, that's someone who's probably not going to be licensed to your product next year. No, no. Yeah, but 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 I, and I get that. But there's an it create everything they say creates an opportunity sure. to understand. Well, why not? Yeah. Why? Why? I don't understand. Look, I, I get it. And that doesn't feel great. But tell me why. Yep. And they'll tell you. 
And that doesn't mean you can fix it tomorrow. It means you have to, Ian, we're talking about intimacy. That's intimacy. Tell me why this relationship is not working from your perspective. Tell me why if we broke up tomorrow, you wouldn't miss me. Yeah. Right? I love it. I love it. There's a there's a client of mine. I'm, a, who, I'm turning into a brand therapist. <laughs> there's, a, there's a client of mine who reached out and asked a number of their clients because what what as part of same side selling they would ask the client well when we when we started this project here's what you said you were hoping would be the result right. at the end of it exactly how have we done in meeting that exactly so so here's the interesting part they reached out to this client and said well so your hope when we were doing this is that this would save you 10% of your week so roughly 4 hours a week 4 to 5 hours a week this would save you in the process. How have we done in achieving that? And the client says, well, actually, I don't think we've hit that number. And so the CEO of my client, he said, yeah, so I get this lump in my throat, like, oh, really, how so? And the client said, I think it's probably saving us more like 25 or 30% of the time. Yeah. To which my client then said, well, is that something you'd be comfortable with sharing with other people? <laughs> right. He said, oh, of course I would. But he was also open to the fact that if it wasn't, that he would say, well, so what could it do that would help you realize that? Right. What What could we be doing differently that would save you that additional time? Because he's actually committed to the results and outcome for the client, not just making the sale. Yeah. Failure is data. Failure is data, too. And you got to uh, – successes are, fail, are, are data, clearly. And I would say 20 to 25% of the conversations I have result in client testimonials. They're leverageable as real testimonials for my client. Um, but I want to get, you made me think of something. Another part of the trap, the intimacy trap, if you will, is, and, and there are some very, I'm going to use another word, surveys, uh, especially online surveys. So th- there's nothing inherently wrong with surveys, but they're used in horrible ways. So when people say, well, we do customer surveys. And that's how we stay intimate. Or we do we, we measure NPS score. I say, okay, well, let me ask you this. Let me just. An NPS for people who don't know is net promoter score. Fred Reichel, the ultimate question. If you're interested in that, you can look it up. Basically, anytime you've gotten a survey that says, so zero to 10, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend or colleague? That's the ultimate question behind the net promoter score. Yeah. And if you want a badge to put on your website and all that, and that's great, but there's no insight there, just to be clear. I don't think anyone would say that there's deep insights available from NPS exercises. Surveys. So I flip it around and I say, oh, you do surveys. Well, let me ask you this. When's the last time you filled out a survey? Okay, good. A week ago. And uh, what, how much time did you spend on it? Oh, really? Only 20 seconds? How many questions was it? 20? How'd you get through in 20 seconds? Well, I, you know, my colleagues were going to Chipotle and I didn't want to be late. So I had to finish it. Real. I was like, do, 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 A, 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 B, 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 C, C, C. All right. So would you say that your survey is different in a compelling way than the one you filled out? I don't know. So you worried that people aren't filling it out correctly? Maybe. So I'm not trying to make them feel bad. I'm saying surveys have limitations. As you and I have discussed on this project we're working on together, that now that we have the prioritized insight as to what's important to this company, this organization, we can then do a survey to tease out specific aspects underneath that. But but if we had done the survey first, we'd be, uh, Latin word, screwed. I think that is Latin. Is it Latin or Greek? I never, I can never remember. I scrawled. Yeah, <laughs> got it. Okay. So what, what are the five things that organizations could do to dramatically improve 
their ability to gain those customer insights. All right. Well, I want to put a quick gate on that. So these are things you can do with little or no effort that have tremendous reward. Okay. This assumes that uh, that you've either done or uh, or have uh, some excuse for not doing a full agendaless listening tour. And uh, I, I can tell, I can describe people like that if you want. But let me get into the five tips. Okay. So I'm going to give you one that you may have heard of, uh, the audience may have heard of. And I'm stealing an idea here from Jeff Bezos. Leave one empty chair at every meeting that represents the customer. Now, there's a company HubSpot, a great marketing automation software company in Boston. That what they did something was something similar. They think uh, put a stuffed animal on a chair to represent the customer. Okay, I've seen uh, Twitter comments that that's hokey. Whatever, whatever works, right? As long as long, I guess the point is it works. So that people consciously say. How would our customers respond to this instead right. of just forgetting that that's the most important person in the room, even if they're not in the room? Yeah. Now, I took those ideas and improved them. <laughs> now, I have a take on those ideas that's a little more human. Actively assign one person in every meeting to wear a name tag and title, job title, that represents an actual customer or a customer persona. So if I come into a meeting and I'm leading the meeting, I will assign, and there are 10 people, I will assign one person, probably based on their level of empathy and ability to listen and things like that, just to be, you know, not to be nasty. And I'll say, you're here to represent uh, our customer's perspective. And as soon as you hear something that sounds false, silly, bad assumption, anything, you are not only a permission, you're obligated to raise your hand and then we'll talk about it. That's great. That's great. Love it. Thank you. Um, so is that is that a second one or is that one B? That's is the it? second one. That's the second one. Okay. One A was Amazon. One B was HubSpot. Okay. All right. Two is now these are mine. Yep. So assign uh, someone in every meeting to okay. represent Got the it. customer with a name tag. Okay. Because you don't want it to just be someone who is kind of kind of half role playing. They need to be in character. All yep. right. Got it. All right. Number three, create a broader role called the customer ombudsman. Now. If you're a fan of journalism like I am, you may know that ombudsman is the person who is employed by the newspaper, but they write columns critiquing the coverage and the journalistic integrity of that coverage. Honestly, I can't remember do, the last time I've seen. Even have those right, I think they got cut, cut cost reduction. They got no more. But yeah. the term, the term basically is a form of advocacy. So the customer ombudsman, and I would have been great at this if I were in the corporate world, still in the corporate world, is someone who is specifically, they report up to the highest person possible in the organization. They're specifically responsible for critical thinking on the question of what would the customer do. They have permission to, in every meeting that they're in, is to uh, do, do what we talked about before, which is to kind of raise their hand and question things. But they have, and and by the way, who makes the best customer ombudsman? Someone who actually used to be a customer and has taken a job with your organization. Love we it. have to force the intimacy, the outside perspective. Love it. Okay. Um, at meetings, have everybody in the room wear a name tag or have a placard in front of them with a customer perspective on it. And at any point in the meeting, someone can point to you and say, Bob, you just said X. Do you really think, what would your customer persona, what, what would your customer uh uh, your what's what's it called an alter alter ego say, and you're forced to kind of confront that in the room. And the last one, number five, is uh, it's really kind of my recent favorite. It's from a gentleman named Jordan Gall. 
He's founder and CEO at Carthook, which is a great e-commerce company, software company, and he's the co-host of Bootstrapped Web podcast. Sorry, I'm promoting another podcast. It's all good. His approach, he says, was also inspired by Amazon. I'm going to read it to you. He said, today, we started a bi-weekly practice inspired by Amazon. We order in lunch for the whole team and sit around and talk about WOCAS. W-O-C-A-S. Which, which is? What do you mean? It's not self-explanatory? <laughs> WOCAS. What our customers are saying. What our customers are saying. WOCAS. W-O-C-A-S. He says, he goes on to say, it's proven highly effective in transferring knowledge from the front lines to the rest of the team. So those are five techniques, Ian, that I would, I, I can tell you that if you start doing them, you don't have to leave your bubble, but it will help bring the bubble inside. I love it. That's fantastic. And I will, of course, as I always do, summarize these at the, uh, at the end of the program to encapsulate these all in a button. So Bob, great insight in how to get really that level of insight with your customers in that agendaless listening. What's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing, Bob? Email me at bob at chieflisteningofficers.com, just like it sounds, or visit www.chieflisteningofficers.com. I'm delighted to anybody who uh, anybody who is a fan of this podcast and who listens and has is curious about any of this is someone I would be delighted to spend time with uh, because I've, and I've done that's happened before. So I'm happy to uh, give these insights in more depth and kind of personalize them. Number one, number two, and this is something Ian and I have, Ian and I have talked about before. There is a l- really good chance that you're listening to this and you are a buyer. There are vendors in your orbit who could use this advice because they're not intimate. They're not curious about your perspective or if you know another vendor or another buyer that has the same issue, forward this. That's what it's there for. We're trying to spread a wealth of knowledge to, to, to close that customer in, intimacy gap. Yeah, it's interesting. One, one, of the, one of the proudest recommendations we have on same-side selling is actually a large group purchasing organization that sends copies to every new vendor and says, if you want to do more business with us, this is the way you should sell to us. That's awesome. And it's just, it's the coolest thing for me and Jack that people would do that. So, um, Bob, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. And uh, I always learn something new when we talk together. Oh, well, that's, that's the biggest compliment I can get. Thank you very much. It's great to be here always. Bob always shares so much great information. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. First, Dedicate yourself to this concept of agendaless listening, not asking questions to get the answer that you want, but instead to uncover the truth in terms of what's really important to your customers. Remember, if you're asking during the sales phase, you're not really agendaless. Your agenda is trying to sell something. And I love this idea that Bob gave these five different steps to uncover your customer's truth. And that whole idea of wondering, gee, What did they say when we left? Just ask the question and have that customer-centric viewpoint. It will pay off for you in a big way. Remember, this show gets a direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover or a guest I should have on the program, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace. 
especially your customer.